Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you. It's nice to be back with you this morning. Uh, our key scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to open your Bibles up there. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Uh, in the fall, I got to work on a pretty large advertising campaign for the DMV. I know, I know, pretty awesome. Uh, it included uh, print ads, commercials, short segments on YouTube and social media, radio ads. It was kind of like this whole big thing. So when you go to the DMV website or you see DMV uh, stuff to get like your real ID and all that and you see people, uh, I help dress them uh, for all of that. Um, and it was, I, I hadn't worked on a project that was this big and I was, uh, but and I was assisting uh, the main stylist on the job. Uh, and it was really interesting because one of the things that they wanted is that they wanted uh, different kinds of people from all different uh, age groups, demographics, kind of across the board. So you had old people, you had young people, uh, you had people from all different uh, nationalities and, and backgrounds. And the job of the stylist that I was working with was to make sure we could dress all of these different people in the looks that the DMV wanted. <laughs> So people had different outfits that they had to wear. So they would have uh, like a work outfit. They would have a, a, a traveling outfit because all the stuff, some of it's supposed to take place at like the airport or something. And uh, they would have a casual outfit. And so we had to try to put the right stuff on these people so they had the right casual look or the right uh, professional look or all these different things because what the DMV wanted was for these people to look like a certain version of whoever it was that they needed. You with me? Uh, this passage is a well-known one within the church, and we read it and talk about it pretty often. And the, uh, the whole idea that in Christ we are what? Oh, that was, that's a good answer. We are one in Christ. You're right. We are a new creation. We are a new creation. Um, <laughs> See how well we know it? See how well? I know, it's great. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come. But what does Paul mean when he describes us as a new creation? Uh, and, and I think that sometimes we might be guilty of reading this passage and, and reading this whole new creation thing and thinking, oh, well, Paul wants us to look like a certain version of ourselves. Like we are dressing up for a wedding or an event like we're putting on our Sunday best or whatever it is, but is that really what he meant when he talked about us becoming a new creation? It's a difficult concept, I think, for us to wrap our minds around. After all, 
if we're really honest with one another, we know that we do actually have different looks at different moments in our lives. And, and we get that in Christ we have a new life, that we are reborn when we come to know Jesus, but sometimes it can be difficult for us to imagine what this new life and what this new creation kind of existence should actually look like. But we've been studying uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and when, remember, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that these are not things that we produce in ourselves. It is something that the Spirit of God produces in us. And therefore, it's not like us just trying to be a better version of ourselves. It is God doing something inside of us and changing something inside of us that we could not produce on our own. Because if I am going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, then what must I follow? The Spirit. What is going to shape me? The Spirit will, the Spirit is what will change me. And it means that if I am going to produce this fruit of the Spirit, I will not look, are you ready? Like any version of myself. I will not look like any version of myself. I will look different. And it strikes me that when Paul writes about us being a new creation, about us looking different, that the kind of transformation that God wants for me may be different than the kind of transformation I want for me. And the way that God wants to change me and make me new may be different than what I'm comfortable with. But that's the whole point. What God wants us to be is not someone who puts on a godly outfit only to take it off again. God wants to change who we are from the inside so that when we walk around in the world, we don't look like a version of ourselves, but we look like the God who loves us. I'm sure that uh, all of you remember everything we talked about uh, what, what, three weeks ago at this point? <laughs> well, that wasn't, that wasn't my fault. <laughs> okay, it was my fault, but uh, I, 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 just di I just didn't know. But I would like to uh, just take a quick moment to thank uh, the eldership for stepping in for me. Uh, two weeks ago, um, I, I got the flu. And it's, it started Saturday morning uh, with a cough. And by the time uh, Saturday night rolled around, uh, I had a fever and I was, I, was, I was not in good shape. So I sent out a text message at 4.30 in the morning uh, <laughs> and, and uh, to, to someone, and to, to Don. And I, did I send one to you, Randy? I, was, I had a fever, so I don't really remember uh, <laughs> what was going on. But I'm, I'm grateful that uh, they were willing to step in for me. And uh, we, we are feeling better for the most part. Zeke caught it too. So he missed four days of school this week. Uh, in case you're curious, it was influenza B. So uh, is what we had there in the Smith house. But we, uh, we have been talking about the fruit of the spirit. 
So from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep and step with the Spirit. Now, as I mentioned already this morning, uh, we have to remember that these things are not the fruit of ourselves. They are the fruit of the Spirit, which means that it is the Spirit that is going to produce these different things in our lives. And uh, it's important for us to remember that because this is not like a checklist of things that we should just try to do. You know, oh, I'm going to be more kind or I'm going to be uh, more gooder. You know, all those different kinds of things. <laughs> so this is not something that we produce by our own effort and abilities. These different fruits are produced in our lives as we submit ourselves to God and we follow the lead of his spirit. And as we follow the lead of his spirit, it is that following, that allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us that allows us to become these different kinds of things. And the reason, the other reason why that is so significant is because uh, these fruit are different than the kind of fruit that we would produce on our own. And so we started out by talking about love and how God's love is very, very different from our love. Uh, it's, it's, uh, our love is, is basically conditional. You know, we have expectations for what it means if we love someone, how that person will treat us, or if they love us. Uh, we have these conditions, but, but God's love is unconditional. That he loved us before we chose him. That he sent Jesus to die for us without any guarantee that anyone would ever accept the gift that he was giving. God's love is different than ours. Our love is earned, and if our love is not reciprocated, then we will abandon the relationship. But God is unconditional. From Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We also kind of went a little bit further and we talked about how, uh, how much it stretches us in so many different elements of our lives to love the way that God loves. And I had, some really, I had some really good conversations with a lot of you uh, the week after, or, or the Sunday uh, after we, okay. That Sunday, when it was over, I had a lot of good conversations with many of you. There we go. I knew I'd get it out. Uh, and so I, I want to address this for, for just a moment because, um, you know, we, we talked about some of the different rationales that we use um, to excuse us from not loving 
other people. Uh, for example, the I love you, but I don't like you uh, example and, and some of those. And, um, I, you know, I, I had a conversation with, with someone who was just, you know, I, I have these difficult people in my life and what should I do with them? And do I need to be around them if they're difficult and they make all these things happen? So I, I, I want to be clear about something to us here. Number one, I really appreciate what Dan said this morning because the application of what we're talking about should make us uncomfortable because it is requiring us to change what we do and how we think. But furthermore, in order to love the way that God loves, it requires us to risk ourselves. You see, it requires us to risk ourselves. We have to put ourselves out there and sometimes be around people that we actually do not like or uh, encourage people when we don't feel like encouraging them or lifting people up when they've hurt us. It, it, it calls us to do something that is really difficult for us. But the beauty, I think, of, of, of realizing that is maybe we don't have all the answers or know always the right way to love people uh, who are difficult for us to love, but I think it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we start asking ourselves that question. Am I loving these people or am I not? And I know this relationship isn't good. How can I improve it so that I can actually express some love to them and what does that mean I, guys that's the work of the holy spirit in us when causing us to ask those questions instead of just writing these people or these relationships off calling on us to do the hard work to figure out how we can live out these fruits in our lives love is a pretty you know obvious one big one here in the fruits of the spirit and it's one that we could talk about a lot but when you start to look at all of the other fruits that surround it uh in some ways they can kind of all run together and and what i mean by that is you know some of the fruit don't generate a whole lot of excitement for me um i mean love is a great one joy yes faithfulness yes i mean i would even like peace sounds pretty good, like I like that one, but some of the others just seem so plain. Um, and because of that, they are easy to overlook. But as we look at these different fruits, we are not seeing one thing that we do. We are seeing a complete picture of someone, the whole person that the Spirit is turning us into, which means that every fruit produced by the Spirit is important. I mean, none of those things are there by accident or mistake. They are all necessary to the kind of person that God is trying to produce. They are all interlocked and woven together, and I, I'm pretty convinced that you cannot remove one of them and still be the kind of person the Spirit is trying to produce. If you, if you were to take one out, even if it's, you know, the least sexy fruit on the list, you would be missing something. 
so it's up to us to appreciate what it is that God is trying to do in us, the complete picture. And so today, we're going to start with the two most boring ones. But I'll just tell you right now, we're wrong about them. They are not the most boring ones. Can you guess what they are? Ooh, self-control? No, because we, we know this, you know. Goodness and kindness. Goodness and I would argue the most overlooked fruit from the fruit of the Spirit. How significant is kindness to our becoming the person that God is forming us into through the Spirit? I mean, kindness is not really a, a, a fruit we talk a whole lot about. Uh, we talk about uh, love. We talk about faithfulness. We talk about peace. We talk about patience sometimes. But kindness, I mean, how often, how many sermons have you heard on kindness? I don't think I've preached one since I've been here. Um, and I know you don't ever listen to any other preachers. So, I mean, it's been, it's been a while. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if I have ever described God as being kind. Um, it's just not a word that comes to mind. And yet, kindness is a characteristic that is very, very closely tied to God. I just didn't see it. Um, the ancient Greek philosopher, Epictetus, I don't think I said that right, Epic. Epictetus, there it is. Epictetus says that a man has lost the very essence of manhood, the distinguishing quality which makes him a man when he has lost his kindness. We know that a man belongs to God when he has on him the imprint of gentleness, generosity, patience, and affection. Most of the Greek philosophers um, who did not believe in God, a lot of them, um, would have agreed that it is kindness in us that makes us most like God. In the Greek Old Testament, uh, we see God often described as kind. And in fact, this word that we see here in Galatians um, is the word krestodes. Uh, and uh, it is more often used of God than of anyone else, this word. Um, and the Greek word, this word, krestodes, uh, um, which is defined as kindness here for us this morning, can also be defined as goodness, excellence, or uprightness. So it can have all of those different meanings. Um, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we often see this same word for kind translated into good. Thus, when we are told over and over again that God is good, uh, the meaning is not just moral goodness, as if God is just some undefined idea that is good. But the idea that is tied to it is kindness. So let me give you an example of how this might work. From Psalm 106, verse 1. Uh, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That word, good, can also be translated as kind. 
So you could read this verse as, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is kind. His love endures forever. Now, how does that change our view of what that verse says? If you were to substitute out good for kind, how does it change it? What's that? It does. It becomes more of an action. Um, because, think about this for a second. I, I know we're in some kind of deep, deepish waters at this moment, a little, little philosophical. But think about this for a second. When I say God is good, I could just be talking about, well, God is good because of course he's good. Right? But when I say God is kind, kindness has to show itself somehow. Like, it, it's expressed between two people. So when I say, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is kind, his love endures forever, I'm saying all of these things are manifest in an expression of God to me. It's not just that he's good. It's that he's kind and he is expressing these things to me. And what moved the writer was not the fact that God was just good, because he is God, but that God is kind. He realized that all he has, he has from God, his only hope for forgiveness comes from the fact that God is kind and expresses himself to us in this amazing way. And it says something else too, that, that God doesn't have this never-ending love because it's just the right thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is the good thing to do? No, it's, it's an expression of his character and his compassion for us. Therefore, the goodness of God is not some kind of separate holiness that sets him apart for us. Instead, it is an expression of his love for us. And we can see this kindness expressed in certain ways. So it's expressed in nature. God's kindness is expressed in nature. Think about the wonderful world that we have. Think about the way that everything works. And why did God create the world like he did? It was not just out of goodness, i.e., this is the right way to do it. It was out of kindness. From Psalm 104, verses 27 through 28. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. I mean, understand what the writer is saying here, that, that God didn't just set the world into motion, but what did he do? He, he set it up to work so that his creation would have all that it needs. But then there's this personal element to this verse, as if we are eating from God's hands, that, that he is, is feeding us. So we see it in the world around us. It's, it's, we see God's kindness expressed in history from Psalm 145, verses 4 through 7. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness, which again is the same word that could mean kindness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. What I love this, and, and, and the Jewish people were so good at storytelling. 
And, and the way that they set up their, their feasts and their observances, they, they told the story of the things that God has, had done for them. And I love how this psalm expresses this because it says, when your people get together and they look back at who they are and who they have been, what is the story they will tell? They will tell of how amazing God has been for them and how good and kind he has been. He has made choices and guided his people in such a way that their only conclusion can be that God is good and cares for them. Uh, God's kindness is expressed in his judgment from Psalm 25, verses 6 through 8. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good or kind and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. God is kind in his judgments. He does not just judge us and cast us away. He cares enough to help us become better. And he is especially kind to those who are afflicted. Think about the life of Jesus. If we have not used the word kind to describe Jesus, we have missed the boat. Yes, he was loving to other people. But think about, think about all the people that Jesus came into contact with who were sick or who lived lives where people didn't want to be around them or who were rejected uh, by their families or by, their, by society. And, and Jesus was kind to them. He was kind to them. He touched those who hadn't been touched in years. He ate with those who had no one else to eat with them. He was the kid at school that found the kid that sat by themselves in the cafeteria and went to eat with them. That's who Jesus was. He was exceedingly kind. And that's who God is. He is not just good. He is exceedingly kind. From Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Why does God save us? Where does it come from? It comes from his kindness. Kindness is kind of a main characteristic of God. And it's a true sign of the good life that God is calling us to. And if you think about it, it is the lack of kindness that really puts people on the wrong side of God. What is the opposite of kindness? Meanness or cruelty, maybe. Um, and, and you don't really have to think very hard <laughs> to see 
how Jesus treated people who were cruel to others. How did, how did Jesus treat people that didn't care for those around them or that oppressed other people or that were cruel? He, he, was, he was not always kind to them, was he? From Psalm 52, verses 1 through 5. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good or kindness. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. From Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Okay, let's just kind of boil this down to, to the baseline here. Um, God expects his people to be kind. And kindness is a very practical fruit. It really is. Um, you can't fake kindness. There's really, there's really no way to do it. There's no way to fake kindness. But let me tell you this. When you are kind, you will draw people to yourself. This is true. Um, and I'll give, you, I'll give you two examples of that. One is Suzanne Bethel. Suzanne is kind. And she's kind to everyone. And people like Suzanne. Brian, they're not so sure about. <laughs> but, but Suzanne is kind. But let me give you another example. My wife, Nisha. Nisha is kind. And she works uh, for the Sonoma County Office of Education. And she, um, I don't know if you've, if you've heard all this before, so let me just give it to you really quick. Um, when we moved here f four years ago, Nisha was still working in Concord, and, and she started praying about getting a new job without telling me uh, about that. And uh, I didn't think she should get a new job. But she, um, she was convinced that she needed to get a new job, and I was, I was worried about it. And she finally just told me, I've been praying about this, and I'm, a, I'm applying for this job. And it was to be an assistant to a principal at the Sonoma County Office of Education who works with uh, the special ed in the county. And I was like, I don't know. This seems like a terrible decision. Like, you're going to make less money. It's going to be this. Like, we went back and forth on it. Uh, but Nisha had been praying and seeking God's will, and I was just being stupid. And we just, <laughs> right? It's just, that's just kind of how that went. So 
Um, we had been, and it was probably within the first year. So within the first year or so, uh, she got this job as an assistant to a principal. And now uh, she runs a $23 million budget for the Sonoma County Office of Education. And she is like one of two people that are just under the superintendent for special ed in the county. Um, she's, she is a woman of great faith. And I respect and admire her so much for how she not only went through that, that part of her life, but how she also modeled to me what I wasn't doing. Um, and never told me, <laughs> I'm doing this and you're not. I mean, that's even better. But uh, here's what, but Nisha, getting back to subject, Nisha is kind. And because she is kind, at her work, everybody goes to her. Everybody. Um, she's doing uh, kind of the support job of like three or four other people, so much so that I had to tell her the other day, honey, um, you might need to ha talk with your boss just so that you cannot handle other people's problems all day long. But when people, when something is going on in someone's life, she is who they go to. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, there was, uh, there was a mom who was having a really tough time at work and stuff was just, she was just having a lot of a lot of difficulty, and she's a she's a single mom now, and all these things were going terrible, and she got a flat tire on the way to work, and all this stuff happened. And Nisha is kind, so she invited her to come over, and they went and walked around the park together, and had Jed and her son play together, and she did all of that for her because she's kind and she cares. We have drastically undersold the importance of kindness. Of just being good to people. And I, I am probably the most guilty, mainly just because I have resting Bryce face all the time, which means I always look expressionless. <laughs> which makes people wonder if they should come up and talk to me or not. And they're kind of not sure about it. But kindness comes from the inside of who we are. And it's our willingness to invest ourselves in other people, even if we don't, even if their problem is not our problem, or even if we're in a hurry, or even if we have other things to do, that when other people have needs or are hurting, we will respond to that, you see. There is a real selflessness that is displayed in kindness. I am doing something for you. It's not for me. It's for you. And so how is it that I could downplay the importance of kindness so much? How is it that I could think that uh, it's not as important or it doesn't matter of any of those things? Because if I can say love is important, guess what? Kindness is love's hands. It's 
It's what reaches out and, and makes an idea become something tangible. So we, as Christians, are expected to treat other people with kindness. We are to treat them well, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from. We are to be kind. And we can't do all the other ones if we're not kind. You see? We can't do all the other ones. We can't display the fruit of love if we're not kind. It's, it's just not possible. Okay, so let's talk about goodness now. We just spent all this time uh, deconstructing goodness and saying how goodness is actually kind. So now we're going to go, you know, give a little flesh to this one too. What is goodness? So the Greek word here for goodness is the word agathousuni. Um, and part of the problem with trying to understand this word is that it almost always uh, takes its meaning from context. So, for example, we usually say that someone is good at something, right? But we need to know what the something is in order to know what good means. Um, the word that is used here in Galatians is hard to define because it's not a very common word, and it does not occur, uh, occur in secular Greek at all. Uh, it only occurs 13 times in the Greek Old Testament and three times in the New Testament. Uh, on the other hand, the root word that this word comes from is the word agathos, uh, and it's one of the most frequently used words in Greek. Uh, that word occurs 520 times in the Greek Old Testament and 100 times in the New Testament. And it is so wide in meaning that it can describe anything that is excellent in any sphere. It's kind of like this big catch-all word. Um, so in the Greek Old Testament, it can mean goodness in general, prosperity in life, uh, the idea of benefit, or, and this is a good one for us here this morning, the idea of generosity. Uh, there's not really enough in the New Testament to come up with an adequate definition for what uh, it could mean there. So how do we know what this word means then? Remember what I said earlier about goodness just being some sort of fuzzy quality, right? Even the word, <laughs> the Greek words are sort of playing that out for us that there is some sort of unspecific meaning to this word, which is maybe why we would struggle with appreciating goodness, because what does it mean to be good? Well, it just means be good, right? Just don't be bad. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, the word that is used for goodness here is uh, often used with another word, which means justice. So the Greeks have defined the word for goodness by comparing and contrasting it to the word for justice. Uh, so justice, they say, is the quality which gives a man what he has earned. Um, so uh, th the word kind of uh, is, is an accurate payment, a reward or a punishment based on your deeds or what you've done. And goodness, on the other hand, is the quality which is out to do far more than that and which desires to give a man all that is going to benefit or help them. So Goodness then stands kind of on the other opposite end of what justice is. In justice, there is very little room for pity or mercy 
Pity and mercy only get in the way of making a fair judgment. But in goodness, pity and mercy must be present because it is pity and mercy that allow you to be, are you ready? Generous with other people. Generous with other people. Now, when we start looking at this word as being, as meaning generous, goodness means a generosity, uh, we, we see lots of passages that kind of back this up. Uh, look at uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 9 through 15. This is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. <coughs> the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. I'm sorry, let me set this up a little bit because I guess I didn't put the whole thing in. Uh, people were hired at different times during the day. So there were some that came in the morning and they were promised a denarius for their work. And then people came three hours later and then three hours later and then three hours later. So now we're at the pay period. The, the end of the day, everyone's going to get paid. So those that came last were paid a denarius. So the people that got there at 6 a.m. were like, sweet. The person that came at five, received a denarius, and so we're going to get more because look at what they got. So, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, this story, what I love about it is it so perfectly contrasts us, the fruit of us, with the fruit of the Spirit. So what is the fruit of us? What is the first thing we would say if we had shown up at the beginning of the day and were paid the same as someone who worked an hour? It is not fair. This is unjust. Why are they getting paid the same amount when I had to work all stinking day in the heat? This is not right. And the landowner, here's what I love about the landowner. The landowner is different than we are, you see. Because, number one, what does the landowner have? An abundance. The landowner has an abundance. There is a lot to give. Yeah? And so he looks at this person and he says, number one, this is totally fair. Do you know why? How much did you agree to work for? A denarius. Okay, so number one, that's not my problem. <laughs> but then he raises an interesting question that we would never think to ask when we're wrapped up in how unfair everything is. He says, aren't I allowed to be generous? And here's something we would never consider. We would never consider how awesome it is for that last person who have come late to the workday for whatever reason and still make enough money to take home and feed his family. Out of the generosity of the landowner. 
The word generous is the same word that we see in Galatians when we see the word goodness. And the warning here is not to focus on justice. Everyone gets what they deserve. But on generosity. We see it again in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, every seven years, which I, I, I would love it if we instituted this as a nation, uh, every s- seven years they would have a year of jubilee in which everyone's debt would be forgiven. Be a hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, come quickly. Um, from Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 7. And li- you know, listen to the words that are used here. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So God had given them instructions that they were to take care of each other, yes, and that there was going to be this year of jubilee where debts would be forgiven, but he knew that there were some who would not help the needy or give to the needy because uh, the year of jubilee was coming and there was no guarantee of them being repaid. I mean, if you were to give someone something in the sixth year or with one month left until jubilee, well, their debt will be forgiven in the next month. And then what? You don't get anything back. And so God, as he's speaking to the people, says, that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Instead, God commanded his people to be generous, giving to those who have need, because there will always be those who have needs. Always. No matter when Jubilee is, there will always be those who have needs, and it is the job of God's people to be generous. I love this term, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I have ever used it or seen it anywhere else, but we know what closed-fisted means, or tight-fisted, right? Instead, we are to be what? Open-handed. Here. Here. I love that image. I love that image. So goodness, then, is not just the idea of you do what is right, or, you know, you're a good boy, or whatever, however we might just try to do this. Instead, goodness is a generosity that springs from the kindness or love or compassion that we have in our hearts. And if I am going to be this kind of generous, it means that I have to be willing to give recklessly. Recklessly. Even when I know that I may not receive anything back. 
because helping the person in need is more important than what I'm going to get back. And do you know who that sounds like? Sounds like God. In order to be kind and generous, there are some things that I think need to happen. Number one, we need to see the kindness and generosity that our God has toward us. And we need, (laughs) we need the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside. We do. Because being kind takes effort. And kindness can be short-circuited by how tired you are, whether you're hungry, whether your kids have been super annoying that day, whether your parents have been super annoying that day. Kindness can be short-circuited by so many things. And, and isn't it true that we excuse ourselves from being kind so often? Well, I was in a hurry. Or I didn't have time. Or why is their problem more important than my problem? Or I could go on and on and on. So we need the Holy Spirit to change us to make us more kind. I mean, maybe not Suzanne and Nisha. You're doing good, Suzanne. Maybe, but we do. We need, we need the Holy Spirit to, to change us inside so that we are not always thinking about ourselves that we are willing to see other people where they are and what they need and respond to that. And and furthermore, that we would be generous and open-handed with people because our God is generous and open-handed. He is so good to us at all times. And that is the fruit of, that the Spirit wants to produce in us. That we would be kind and open-handed with everyone around us. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. If we follow the lead of the Spirit and let him change who we are. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are kind. We are grateful that your love has expression. We are grateful that you care about our small lives. God, we are grateful that you are good that you are generous and open-handed, that you offer us so much. God, we pray that the Spirit would produce these fruits in our lives, that we would be kind, that we would be generous, that we would be open-handed, that we would see others and be good to them as you are good to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.